0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Emerging Excellence Podcast. I am your host, Felicity Fury, founder of We Aspire, And today we are joined by the incredible Gavin. And Gavin, you are someone who is challenging to introduce because you have such an extraordinary career, personally known you through the engineering network and the amazing work you've done there. And I feel like you could be local hero slash international local <laughs> hero based on the amazing work you've done all over the world to support local communities in engineering. You've also supported leaders. You've got an Order of Australia medal for your amazing work. So you know, incredible career that you've had. And I'm so excited that you're here to share your insights with leaders around leadership and your journey. So thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure, Felicity. Thanks very much for the invitation. There's so much to talk about leadership and I'm looking forward to having the conversation with you.
0: Awesome. Well, let's start with what drove you to leadership? Did you set out to be a leader early in your career? We don't really have any leadership classes in Engineering University. (laughs) Why leadership for you?
1: I think I'm probably the accidental leader in some ways and and by that I mean that um, like you, I did an engineering degree in four years at university. I don't know what it was like when you went through, but sitting when I went through in four years, we had four lectures on people skills. And yet most, if not all, engineers go into some sort of leadership role a team leader, a manager, an executive role during their career. They're not really prepared for it. So I joined an organization called Toastmasters because I'd had a traumatic experience as an undergraduate in delivering a presentation to doctors and professors and found that traumatised me. I decided I wanted to do something about my confidence and competence in communication. And what I discovered in that particular instance was an organisation that is best known as a public speaking organisation, but actually the leadership development organisation that uses communication as one of its tools to enhance leadership skills. And that's where I started getting introduced to leadership. And I must say, that's where I gained a lot of the early skills which I've applied throughout my career. And kind of the journey was that, Others saw the potential in me before I before I saw the potential in myself. Now, for example, one of the club officers said, oh, you should stand for club treasurer. So I stood for club treasurer and lost. <laughs> it's like, well, thanks for that. But that was part of the leadership journey is that sometimes you don't make it. It's a bit like getting an interview, isn't it? Is that you apply for a job and no guarantee you'll get a, an interview. If you do get an interview, there's no guarantee you'll get a job. And so you need to be able to set yourself up best as possible to be getting to the for the first gateway of getting an interview and then to get a, do a good interview so you've got the best chance of getting a job. So my introduction to leadership in that sense was accidental because I wasn't even elected the first time. But after the treasurer left in about six months, I went on to be the club treasurer for 18 months. And that began my leadership journey. And in every instance, it was others saying, oh, have you thought about being club vice president? Have you thought about being the president? Have you thought about being the area governor, the division governor? Etc. My leadership journey began in, a, in an organization that was, I thought I was gaining confidence and competence in communication, and I absolutely was, but also where I could develop the leadership skills to apply in my workplace, in my professional life as an engineer. And so that set me up with some early skills to use in my career as well.
0: Amazing. It's interesting. You think, oh, to be a leader, you you rise up through the ranks at work, but it's often those opportunities outside the workplace that can gain you those different skills. And you just reminded me, Gavin, I think you gave me some of the best feedback I ever had when I didn't get a position as well. I applied for the Engineers Without Borders, board and you were the chair at the time. And I still think that, I think I say the best feedback that I've received when I didn't get something. And it was such a great learning experience because I learned so much more about my strengths as well and what some of my gaps were. And then I had a choice whether I wanted to go down the path of improving them or not. So I absolutely recommend things to apply for and they're not getting them, there's so many hidden opportunities. And that can kind of be the path, right? You choose to Mm -hmm. lean into that or you choose to have it be a traumatic experience and actually can be quite negative on your journey as well. You've lived in lots of different countries, organisations. We mentioned before this session around culture. I'd love to dive into that topic a bit more. Mm. Mm-hmm. How have you seen leadership playing out with those different nuances? You know, you've done work in Cambodia and all kinds of parts of the world. Mm-hmm. How has that played out for you?
1: You have a great point your raise, specifically about the culture and culture. We often think of being in countries. That, that is true, absolutely, that culture does vary from country to country, but can vary within a country substantially. If you think of somewhere like India, For example, that's many, many countries in a sense, because many different backgrounds, many different cultures there. And if we think of a workplace, there's actually culture associated with a workplace. So I've had the chance to be able to observe that and be part of it and even to lead teams internationally, both from Australia as well as being embedded in a country and lead those teams. And it is important to learn about the culture, and the best way to learn is to ask the locals. Yeah. But, of course, when you ask the locals, they may not necessarily Give you a straight answer because in some cultures saying no is, is not appropriate. And so if, if you ask them a question, they they will certainly never say no. And even if you, if you're asking, did you understand what I just asked you to do? They'll nod their head, even if they didn't understand because they're being so respectful that they don't be able to say no, and particularly to a senior person. So I think understanding what's happening within a culture. Being able to talk to people i find it very useful people who have been across cultures there might be an australian who's worked overseas or a someone from timor or someone from cambodia who's studied in australia and worked in australia they're kind of cross-cultural because they can they've been a part of both and so they've got a bit of an understanding of both and therefore they can give deeper insights into what's actually going on here why is that person responding in this way and it might be something as simple as in some cultures quite hierarchical and their expectation is that the boss tells them what to do. Well, as Australians, we're quite unfamiliar with that because we're the other extreme, actually, is that oh, we don't take any notice of authority. We don't like authority. We either say something about it or, or we move on or whatever. Whereas in other, some other cultures, it's a, a very embedded part of the culture where you really are, if you're the senior person, the expectation is everyone looking at you. Now, it's not to say one is right and one is wrong. Actually, they're just two different ways of looking at leadership. But what is important is to understand what's working and what's not working and how to work within those cultures, within those organisations or those countries. So observation is certainly one. Into a certain amount of research beforehand, too, talking to, as I mentioned, to people who worked there or are working there. But also there's, there's books, there's courses available. They're so trying to get around as much knowledge as you can ahead of time. Language is a real enabler. And I've got to say, that's one of my challenges is that I've uh, worked work in several countries. Sometimes it's for a short periods of time, it might be one month, uh, might be up to 10 months. Learning the language would be ideal if I was there for a lot longer period of time. I certainly do learn something that, that is the smaller parts of the language, like please, thank you, how are you, that type of thing. And I think it demonstrates a, a respect for the other people by but be able to show that you want to know a little bit about their language and therefore it's a bit of an insight into culture. Whereas it's really challenging to get up to speed with language to be able to work at that level, a technical level. So then what I would do is I would get people around me who are familiar with English as well as the local language and work closely with them and just ask a lot of questions and then be very respectful and also anticipate it's going to take longer, not only is a different culture, but actually even just the translation Takes a lot longer one of the extraordinary skills I've seen I've, uh, as you know I've spoken to in many countries around the world and one of the most interesting ones was when I was speaking in Taiwan and I had to prepare a presentation after the 2011 Brisbane floods as was the manager of the city's assets at that time and so I had a, a first-hand experience in leadership during crisis in this case a, um, the biggest flood event in 37 years. And what they, the Taiwanese asked me to come over there and present to them about what we'd learned. And my presentation, I prepared it in English and they translated it into Mandarin. And on one screen, it had it in English and one screen, it had it in Mandarin. So when I was speaking, I was speaking in English and there was probably two, maybe, there might've been two other people of a Caucasian background in the audience, but the other 300 were all from Taiwan. So I was speaking in English and the translators were directly translating into Mandarin. So sure, the people could see the, Mandarin written up on the screen, but as we know in a presentation, we're speaking a lot more than what is on the screen. So they're listening to what I'm saying, they're processing what I'm saying, and they're speaking simultaneously. And that is an extraordinary skill to be able to do that. I don't know how they do it. But there's a kind of a lesson in leadership there too, because I think as a leader, we're doing a bit of that, on, aren't we? It kind of feels a bit on the fly sometimes. There's all these forces at work. So it might be some situations emerging over here or or someone wants some information over there, or there's some some priorities, and we have to start to be able to interpret what is going on. And so so I think we can learn as leaders about the lessons of language and how important that is to be able to get our message across, but also, more importantly, to understand what is going on. And then the flip side of that is being able to speak in a language which is meaningful and understandable and workable for the person or the other people in the conversation. So there's definitely a Link between culture, language, and leadership.
0: That's a really helpful point. And how you talked about it there is the, it's obvious when it's a different country or a different language. But often I find if you're going to a new construction site and as an engineer, you might have some of the technical terms. And someone framed it really well the other day of, in the inner circle or not culturally in your workplace. And I thought that was really fascinating because whether you're um, in the minority or majority of a particular gender, you know, obviously engineering, there's a lot more uh, men than women, but, you know, even you can be a man on site and not be in the inner circle. And, I think sometimes we often miss, you go, oh, well, I should know this because I'm an engineer, I've worked in this industry, but often in particular workplaces or projects, there are nuanced cultures. And as a leader, you need to be able to navigate that or even as a team member, and I think a team member can be a leader as well. What advice mm-hmm. would you have for, Yeah, for people who are navigating some tricky cultures? would you Would you apply the same kind of thinking you would working overseas or would you do something different? I
1: think the principles are the same. It's just that it's probably more subtle In if we're in the same country or in the same company, is there's less difference between us. Whereas when we work somewhere else completely different, then we can, it's more obvious. I had a friend who was a archaeologist, and she trained as an archaeologist. And she said that the definition of culture shock is not when you go to a country, it's actually when you come back to your own country. And I thought that was really interesting. And the reason I felt that was really interesting is because when we go somewhere, we're all eyes, we're all ears. It's so interesting. It's so, in some cases, overwhelming. My first overseas trip was to Nepal, and that was many moons ago. When I arrived there, I was so overwhelmed with all the number of people and the noise and intensity and people being in your face. They're wonderful people, by the way, but I just wasn't used to it. Is that I stayed in a hotel for two days. My wife B and you know B B actually had to go out and get food and what have you. I was overwhelmed by the by all the noise and everything that was going on. So it gives it probably a little bit of an insight, isn't it? Is that when we're overseas we can see all the differences. In fact, it can be a bit challenging. I think even as a leader is that we start comparing everything then to what we know. So when we see something, oh yeah, we don't don't do it that way in Australia. We do it this way actually what we be better off is just saying, oh, that's interesting the way you do that. I wonder what we could learn from from that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true then when we're in our workplace. And to go back to your question about, you know, some advice would be look, listen and observe. Is what's going on here? And it's been said we have two ears and one mouth, though we should do twice as much listening as speaking. And it's so true, isn't it? We can learn a lot more by listening than speaking, says he who's just doing a lot of speaking. (laughs) (laughs) But it is true that we can actually observe, speak to people like, uh, to, at this level, because I think if we, and if, uh, I guess many people listen to the podcast, I'm just sort of pointing my fingers together at the same level. Whereas if we speak above people, then that offends them. If we speak below people, then that offends them. We're really speaking to, actually I was going to use the word to, I'm going to use the word with. We're speaking with people because two people implies that it's that's like towards them, whereas with is a two-way conversation. And as i think back about the work the um, work environments i've worked in a very broad range right through from my father's motor mechanic by trade i spent a lot of time in his workshop which has inspired me to become an engineer because i love doing things with my hands and 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 building things and and getting being able to see something tangible as an outcome is that by being in a whole range of workplaces whether that sort of trading workplace in that instance whether it be a young engineer going into a workplace where there's a lot of tradies who actually know a lot more than you do as a young engineer. Mm-hmm. You've been at university for four years. I, oh, I think I must know a bit. I had a crusty old engineer once say to me that uh, you fellas are useless. And uh, for the first five years, and I was very affected. I mean, I'd spent four years at university learning all this, all this information. You know what? There was a kernel of truth in what he was saying because we learned a lot of theory, but actually, once you get out there and start working, you need to relearn a lot as well. We definitely need the theory, but we also definitely need to be able to be open to some of the learnings. So I'd say that to anybody who's going into a a new workplace, uh, whether that be the same company, same country, or even a different country, is look, listen, and uh, ask questions and just be genuinely yourself.
0: Amazing. That's great advice. And a question to lead on from that would be, how do you think we can help develop and support those emerging leaders that are coming through, if you're managing all of the assets for Brisbane, which is one of the largest councils in the Southern Hemisphere, if not the largest, and huge asset portfolio, billions of dollars, I imagine, how you, know, you can't do that on your own. You need a team around you. And, mm. you know, that talent pipeline as well coming through with that knowledge, particularly around asset management. How have you seen or yourself implemented over your career that development of the next generation of leaders? Is there some key things that stand out for you in how that's happened?
1: absolutely thank you for asking that question for me it's very intentional to be able to target young leaders and to support and engage and involve them so that they can really be the best that they can be and i think i've mentioned earlier on about it, saw the sort of potential in me before i before i saw the potential in myself and there's a couple of lessons come out of that really is that one just look within ourselves and see how much potential we do have but the second one is to actually look the potential in others and that's what I was keeping my radar out here is about. Well, who looks engaged and who's keen and and who uh, might be uh, want to be part of the team. And I specifically did target actually females in engineering in a in a positive sense because you're an exception. You're an exception because of who you are, city and the leadership experience that you bring, the skills and experience, your passion, your desire, your your drive. Your, um, your ambition in that way to make a difference. And you can see that firsthand through, whether it be through the organization that you developed, whether it be through the roles that you've undertaken. And that was, you're encouraging others on their journey. It's the same for me, actually. I can see the value in that. The people given the opportunity really do want to step up and stand up and take that opportunity. So for me, it was intentional. that as I thought back about my career, I had amazing people I was working with. But some of that was coincidental and some of that was intentional. How might I help others on their journey? And and I ran into the lift in, in a lift the other day. One of the former members of my team, who's a divisional manager at Brisbane City Council now, I've uh, finished up with um, Brisbane City Council in the end of 2019, had an amazing career there. And we can talk about that sometime as well, that they've got amazing opportunities. But Tim is a was part of my team many years ago, and I felt so proud. But he's a divisional manager. And a divisional manager means he's one, as you know, one step below the CEO. So I I felt as though I'd been a little part of his journey. And I'm certainly not saying it was about me. I'm just saying it was, I I felt as though I was a little part of his journey when I was his team leader all those, probably more than 20 years ago. And to see now that he's leading a team of between one and 2,000 people, that's the payment for me, if you like, of um, as a leader, is to see the growth in others. So I would say to people is... Just ask, we've done it on a couple of occasions. I was on the leadership team, the engineering leadership team at Brisbane City Council. I don't know how many engineers we had, probably two or 300, something in that order. I wasn't the boss of all them, by the way. The engineering leadership team was about the development of them. It was about the professional development of engineers across the organisation. And one thing we did there was we started a mentoring programme. And what really surprised me was there were more people who put up their hands as mentors than mentees.
0: So interesting. Now, that was
1: surprising for me because I thought that, well, we hear a lot of people saying, I'd love a mentor, but actually there was more people who were keen to be a mentor. And I think, well, there's a couple of lessons in that. One is that the mentees, sound a bit like mentees, doesn't it? But the mentees, <laughs> they are not necessarily confident enough to put their hand up and say, I'd like a mentor. And the second part of that is that the mentors are keen to contribute in some way to be able to share some of their expertise. And as we know, being a mentor is actually a two-way communication process. It, the value proposition is two-way. So while it might sound like the mentor knows everything and just telling the mentee, that hasn't been my experience. I learned just as much from the mentoring experience as hopefully the mentee learns from, from me being a mentor. But certainly, and the same with coaching and I'm a trained workplace coach is, the experience on the coaching is that I also learned from that experience and I get coached as well. <laughs> I'm a coach E as well as um, a coach. So I think that the, my one point to answer your question here would be to encourage uh, people who are thinking about whether it's mentoring or coaching or what to do in the workplace just to ask. Actually, I'm going to give one more example just to wrap, to wrap that piece up is to say that there was a young engineer who was working in I think she might have been working in one of the engineering consultancies, and she was amazing the way that she was working her way through the organisation. I said, "How do you do that? That is amazing." It meaning, I'm so in awe of what you're doing. She, just, she said, "I just tell them what, what I want. I just tell them what I want." And I thought, I wish I had that when I was her age." Because, and she's now the uh, manager of strategic planning in um, Thames Water over in the UK. And so, what an extraordinary journey that she's had, and and wow, isn't that wonderful to be able to. Have the confidence. If you don't have the confidence to be able to look like you've got the confidence to be able to say you what you're looking for. So, final point would be just ask what you want.
0: Amazing. I've had so many mentors that have helped me. And I remember after we did our very first Power of Engineering event to talk to girls about engineering, <clears throat> excuse me, I sat down with someone who was on a number of boards and she said, This could be a national organization. And my first thought was, She is crazy. I've never done anything like that in my life. How would I know? How Possibly do that, and the way I convinced myself was, well, she she actually was on the Reserve Bank of Australia. So I thought, well, mm. she's on the Reserve Bank of Australia. She must know some things. And you know, I'm not there, and I'm not in the leadership role that she's in. So maybe I should just trust her and and see what mm. you know. See if I can. Why not? Why not go? You know, make this into a big thing. And, and we did go about that. And I think it's an interesting kind of paradigm. Or you kind of you know listen. Do you listen to that inner voice? Do you listen to the mentor? Who's, you know, how do you get that motivation? And I think that's one thing we find can be challenging in some of our leadership programs is we have leaders in organisations seeing the potential of young people saying, hey, you could do this, but we still need that drive and that inner motivation from the person. Have you got any tips or advice around how you can inspire that motivation within people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, leadership takes inspiration. And I think being inspired yourself to take on a leadership role, but also inspiring others. And so that inspiration piece, I think of it as it comes from a heart. It's kind of that deep-seated what the why, why you're here. And and engineering doesn't exist for engineering's sake. I mean, the reason it exists is to be able to help people, to be able to help families, to help communities, to help countries, to to help the planet to be able to live sustainably, live into a better better standard. And if you've got that sort of external drive about why, about here, I think it's easier to inspire uh, people and certainly to be more inspired ourselves. Certainly that was the drive for me. I know I get someone speaking on my own behalf here, but if I was inspired by what I saw, I was more likely to be driven towards it. And I've come across times in my career where I've felt as though I was really down in the, in the energy and then something happens that I'm really look up to, and or someone I look up to, or some circumstance. All of a sudden, I've got another boost of energy because I've been inspired by what has happened. That was really my engineers without borders journey. Is that I went along to a conference back in 2013, and and it was at the intersection of engineering, social science, and. And there was another profession there as well. I've never seen that intersection before. That looks really interesting. And then to sort of see the work that's going on, see the enthusiasm of the people who were engaged in that. And so that for me inspired me. And then what I try to do as a leader too is to paint an enemy image. Sometimes that's with a PowerPoint presentation. Sometimes that was with just telling a story, is to be able to express it in a way that people might feel as feel it, if you like, rather than just Thinking. And we as engineers, one reason we're attracted to engineering is we love, we love analyzing things. We love building things. It's all that analysis. Actually, in the end, it's about, it, that's important and, and a critical enabler, but it is about working with people and working within organizations so that we can achieve. And I think if we can be inspired with the work we do, we're more likely to be able to do it more effectively and therefore inspire others. And the language we use, the examples we use, it's the work, it's where we choose to spend our time. And I'm lucky enough that I've got some choice about where I spend my time now. And and that gives me a lot of opportunity to be able to take on what I think makes a difference. And that's not to say it's always easy. In fact, one of the most challenging projects, maybe even the most, the most challenging project I ever did was last year. And we can unpack that a little bit, but just saying that it was also the most inspiring project I've ever done, but by far the most challenging. The leadership can be both. It's kind of been a bit bit or a dichotomy in a way, it's almost like there's a bit of a natural tension in there is that it's simple, but it's not easy. And through, yeah. by by being committed to it, by being inspired by others and inspiring others, we're more likely to be able to do a better,
0: better job as a leader. It's so true, and I think about that a lot, particularly with engineering, where the numbers part and the technical solution becomes the easy part. It's the implementation with people that becomes (laughs) the challenge. And I think particularly for people who are, say, coming from a technical background where you have been trained in something like engineering, then you really get drawn to, or I noticed early on when I had my first leadership role as a project manager, actually also working at Brisbane City Council, Mm. and I was really drawn back into the engineering detail because that's where I felt safe and comfortable rather than thinking about the bigger picture of the project, the budget, you know, all those kinds of things. And I think when you're an emerging leader in particular, it can be challenging to step out of that control piece and into influence. And that's, I think, where leadership really lives in in the influence part. What would your advice or, or, you know, thoughts be on that piece around going the technical piece into influencing and, and people side of things?
1: I think you touched on something really important. In fact, there are some definitions which basically says that leadership is about influence. Excuse me. And and that is absolutely true. In fact, I also think about it as being like an extrapolator it is that by us taking a leadership role, we can, we can enable a lot more than we can do by ourselves. To be able to enable more than we can do by ourselves, we have to be influential. And to go back to a couple of examples that you gave it just earlier on, now, one was you. Know, I heard you say you were talking to mentors, one of whom was on the the board of the Reserve Bank. And that will be a great example of being influential. You were influenced by her experience. She's being influential by working with someone who is outstanding like yourself, who is a a leader in in your own right in having developed organisations, inspired people, a whole range of businesses as well as uh, being an employee, is that she was seeing the potential in in you. And so I think that's part of it too, is that influence can be at a one-to-one level. And it can also be at a one-to-many level. To understand the one-to-many piece can uh, require us to understand how organizations work and don't work. And this is my old three-legged stool. is <laughs> having the technical know-how. It's having the people skills. It's also having the organizational skills. Because you can have all the people skills in the world, as in the inspiration and the charm. You can have the technical skills about knowing exactly what's required Those are absolutely essential. And the third piece is knowing how to work your way through an organization or to influence decision makers to be able to implement what you think is so important. So what does that look like? That looks like understanding how an organization works and does not work. And by, I mean, does not work is sometimes it can take a long time to get stuff through. You know, some things are, some programs are a 10 year, 10 year overnight success. In other words, it's taken 10 years to get to that point, even though they look like they're an overnight success. So, we, so was, I think it might have been Abraham Lincoln said something like, and he's certainly been quoted as saying this, is that I'll plan now so I'm ready when my time comes. I'll plan now so I'm ready when my time comes. And I see that as being an aspect of influence is that if you can figure out where you want to go, where you want to be, what you need to do, then you can do a little bit of planning and managing a little bit of planning with hand charts and all of that is that influence can be sometimes like mapping it out. OK, well, who are the key players here? Who does have the decision making power? What are some of the important things that are important to them? What's the language they talk in? What's some of their background? What resonates for them? And so it's always that thinking about for them, for them, for them. And the old saying isn't there, if you want to get to know a person, you know, the, office, and the old American Indian saying. Well, what that's saying to me is that If you want to understand a person really, you know, and make drives them as get closer to them. And so I think that's a piece of influence too is about being able to understand, work closely with people and acknowledge and recognize that they are quite different to us. Their modus operandi might be quite different and we may be uncomfortable with the way they operate. But if they're in a a role of responsibility, then that might be the pathway for us to, to go with, with and via them.
0: Just taking a stop moment to stop and think can be really powerful and as human beings, the most important person in our lives are ourselves. So usually the first yes. thing that we think about is ourselves. It's true. Yes. And so Natural. it does take a moment to pause and go, okay, let's think about the other person. And it's it's so great you mentioned that and that's, I think, one of the number one things that we speak about with emerging leaders is just taking that time to stop and think. And we even have people in our training will say, you know, what do you want what does the other person want and then and write it out and then actually write it in that order first, but then flip it when you have the conversation. So then mm-hmm. say, start with what's the opportunity for the other person, what do you think is of interest to them, talk about what they want, and then, and sometimes you don't even get to what you want because you've had a win-win. There's such an alignment between the two of you because you're really thinking about how can I help this person mm-hmm. and what's in it for them. Absolutely. I think you I think it- on, sorry, you, know, you go ahead.
1: Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to touch on that actually, yeah. what you're talking about there. And that is actually going along to courses like the We Bio course and, and being part of that community. And the reason I suggest that is that I think you can be surrounded by a group of people who are learning, but then also you, you draw in other people. I've been along to a couple of the other sessions there and I can see firsthand that people, that the, the participants are keen, willing and to be able to, to, to learn, but also they're so bright. They're so intelligent. They're, they're sharing with other participants on there, but an aspect of influence is going along and getting, if you like, some formal and informal training, because it can open up some areas you may not have been exposed to in your, in your workplace. When you're with a completely different group of people who are outside your workplace, for example, if let's say there's 20 people on that course and uh, you're the only one from your workplace or only a couple from your workplace, you are seeing how other people operate. A, a key part of influence certainly is on-the-job learning, but also being part of communities and, and workshops.
0: And I think if you look at something like, a, you know, soccer player, World Cup's on at the moment, very topical, and yes. they have a, they'll have a they have a 90-minute game, but how long do they practice for, for that 90-minute game? And I think often in our workplaces, we have those times that we need to perform, but we don't take that time aside to actually, you know, stop and, and learn and practice. And we're often practicing in the moment, you know, a presenter, Gavin, yeah. you've done lots and lots of practice, but I think it can be rare. And actually something we're experimenting with at the moment we aspire is 20% time where we're spending 20% of our working week learning. And that's yeah. a big chunk of time, but I mean, we really want to prioritize that, whether it's about AI or becoming more efficient, or it's developing ourselves continuously as leaders. I think not enough is really given to making that time to develop yourself. And yeah, we're so busy and doing everything that we're yeah. doing. And that's something you've thought about as well, is making that time, setting that time time mm-hmm. aside to learn. I guess Toastmasters you would have been learning continuously. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. whether it be in Toastmasters whether it be in my career or engineers have orders or whatever aspect is, setting aside the time to learn. Paradoxically is when we are busiest is actually when we need it the most. to mm-hmm. be able to slow down and step back because if we involve the busyness, then sometimes we can't I was saying can't see the wood for the trees because and we're not able to look up at the horizon and so being able to set aside time in the diary specifically for learning is very important as engineers we if we want to remain chartered then of course we have, to have 150 hours over the three-year period i think it's a wonderful initiative because that keeps from an engineering perspective the learning going so the same applies to other things like leadership learning is how much time is not just about the numbers, but it's actually about putting in the time to, to learn leadership. A lot of it is experiential on, on the job, but formalizing that a little bit, making sure we do make the time to learn. That could be acting up, So not only playing up, well, it could be fun as well, but in acting up in roles. For example, if someone is away, just going into that role a step up or a couple of steps up to learn, doing a bit of work shadowing. So that way, it doesn't have to be that formal training all the time, but that is learning learning mm. on the job, so set aside, t- setting aside time every week and then sticking to that time. So actually blocking out some time in your diary would be a, is a
0: fantastic idea. Love that. I, yeah, I tell myself, if I don't have five minutes to meditate, then I should make 20 minutes to meditate because that's usually <laughs> what I need it most and I'm really yes. busy. Leads me to another question, which is around mindfulness. You mentioned mm. earlier that was something that was important to you. How do you think about that with leadership and has it been a part of your leadership journey?
1: absolutely and and i started meditation and i started yoga in my early 20s and that was by quick chance my my flatmate she used to go along to yoga she wants to come to yoga it's like okay it was fantastic and then I went away from yoga and then I come back to yoga. And then I started meditation as part of yoga. But then more recently, I've been spending a lot of time on the mindfulness. I currently spend probably um, three quarters of an hour a day or something in that order. i not saying that people need to spend that amount of time, but I just choose to spend that amount of time. Uh, and it's very powerful. And, and the reason it's powerful is if you think of the flip side, mindlessness. So sometimes the definition of we, we have t- trouble defining mindfulness, being present, but Uh, if we think about mindlessness, it's very easy to get caught up in mindlessness. And that's sometimes just getting caught up in what's happening, the the drama of the situation or the busyness of the situation, rather than just being able to pause, taking a breath. And there's plenty of uh, brain science prove that if you take that five, six seconds, then when you've got that heightened awareness, um, it's called dampening dampening the amygdala, we want to be able to lower down our stress levels. It's only then the executive part of our brain can kick in. In other words, if we're not doing something like mindfulness, if we don't have some techniques to be able to manage what's going on in a situation, is that we're not going to be as effective as we can as a leader. I'm not saying everyone has to do mindfulness. I'm just saying that I found it a very useful tool to just be able to let things settle. It's almost like looking to the horizon rather than looking down in front of us all the time. It's when we can look to the horizon that things come into perspective much more clearly. And secondly, that we can focus on what what's really important to us. Otherwise, we can get caught up in the, the, the now. And we certainly want to be in the now, but we don't want to be caught up in the now. So I certainly highly recommend uh, people exploring a little bit of mindfulness. I found an incredibly powerful tool uh, as, a, as a leader.
0: I think it's one of those things often, or oh, I found that it's when I've had a really stressful situation and I've noticed I don't have that capacity. That's really encouraged me. That's actually how I started yoga was I was running a business and it didn't work out. And I was so stressed. And my husband said to me, just take two weeks off, go buy an unlimited yoga pass and go to yoga. And I did. I did six days of yoga the first week. I did six days of yoga the next week. And from then I was hooked. I remember having, it's a bit random, but going, just like connecting with my leg. And I was like, yes. my leg, this leg is amazing. And being mindful about that. And it was such, I still remember it. And it was years ago that I had this experience of having that time to pause. And it was such a game changer. And I realized when I was having this really stressful experience that I didn't actually have that built-up capacity. And I went and saw a psychologist. I cut down on my coffee, really noticed mm. things around sleep. And think having that, uh, yeah, I feel like capacity is probably the best word for it. So you've got that built-up tolerance so that when things are stressful and as a leader, <laughs> challenges do pop up out of nowhere. I feel like that's pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty common thing in leadership, that you've got yeah, yep. that muscle to to deal with it. Has that helped you as well in terms of having capacity as a leader by practicing things like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You've touched on a number of really important points. And one was the first thing you mentioned there was awareness. So you actually observed or can observe now that oh maybe I didn't handle that situation as well as I could have, not should have, could have, because should is different to could. But just the fact that you've observed that, it's like that's really important because otherwise we'd be in mindlessness because we don't even know that we, that we what's just happened. Whereas you've just realized, oh, that's interesting what just happened there. And then we can choose. We can either choose to beat ourselves up or we can choose to say, oh, that was interesting. That was curious. I wonder what I learned out of that. What would I, what would I do differently next time? a completely different mindset the, the first one of beating ourselves up goes down this pathway the second one goes down that pathway of what's possible how might we do some things differently it's kind of that curiosity lens rather than putting ourselves down we are our own worst critic and so we don't need any more critics we're very good at doing that ourselves what if we could just silence that critic and just not necessarily yell at the critic but just be able to let that go into the background and then to be able to say well hmm, what's possible in situation it's not about big ourselves it's simply about not putting ourselves down and so by having tools in your toolkit like the, the yoga that you've discovered and it's so true it sounds funny doesn't it but hey, i don't know i have a leg but it is so yes, true we forget the fact yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they you it all the time and so We've suddenly become aware of all these things. we become aware of our breath and the impact we're having on other people. So, yeah, having the experience, trying some things out For other people, it might be a different technique altogether. So my advice would be to just try a few different things out. Certainly for you and I, the yoga's work and the mindfulness has worked. But whatever works for each individual is definitely worth it. And you won't read a lot of of this in an engineering book. You really have to experience it because it's firsthand, that experiential, and part of leadership is getting in there and giving it giving it a go.
0: 100%. I couldn't agree with you more around the experience part and trying things out and testing it. And, again, it's like the role plays. We don't really like we do in our experience days where you actually get to have that safe space to practice and try things. We don't often get that opportunity as leaders. You're often having a difficult conversation in the moment yes. that you have it. You don't go, I'm going to go practice that before I do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important to have those moments where you're having the feeling of how did it feel when I said that or when I did that or made that mistake and have it in that safe training environment to practice it. The last question I wanted to ask you was around team. We've spoken a bit about you know yourself as a leader, which I think is absolutely the foundation, leading yourself first. And I think a bit of a myth around leadership, it is that it is about the individual, but you know to get leverage, to get influence, to figure out how things work in an organization like you're sharing about earlier, there is that need to understand team and and how that's how mm. people work and that's how you get things done as a leader. Not, but it's also not for yourself. I say get things done. It's it's as a team. Mm-hmm. Can you share a bit more about your experiences as a team and how you think about it as a leader?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the two old sayings: "Team means together, everyone achieves more." Is one of my favourites because it's so true. To, together, everyone achieves more. And the second one is: "There's no I in team." And that's from years ago, and it's still relevant today. And by that, it means that team means, by definition, a group of people coming together. It's almost by definition that leaders have to be part of teams. Otherwise, who are you leading? Where, where are you going? There's no one following you. So, definitely need to be part of a team. And by the way, it's much more enjoyable to be part of a team anyway. Sure, it has its moments, and sure, it can feel lonely in a leadership role. And we can talk about each of those too at some future stage. But the point is, we are social beings even though i'm naturally uh, more introverted than extroverted and people will be surprised about that but it's just that i can also be a chameleon and be able to work in, in a situation i think as a leader we need to be a little bit like that too is that sometimes it's not our natural disposition to be the leader of a team but if you have something to contribute something to help everyone to be successful then it's almost as though it's not an obligation it's a responsibility to be able to to do to do that Definitely, you definitely want to be able to do it as a team, so that we feel that we've achieved it as a team. And in some ways, I think the ultimate definition of leadership is if, at the end of the end of the, whatever it is, the project or the process, there, everyone says we did a great job there, and they actually own it. I think that's the definition of a great leader: is that it's not as though they're taking the all the, the limelight or that. the the others are pointing to the leader and saying, oh, listen, they told us to do it or we did it because of them. They did it because of themselves. And without them even realising that a very sophisticated leader may well have used the skills we talk about during this podcast that encouraged them to become their full potential, believed in them, that they've done some, organised some training, some professional development, that put them in some acting roles, that they've stumped them up for some some responsibility. And all of that can happen is almost, if you like, in the background without people even realising. And I think that's the ultimate compliment here, as a leader. If if people think that they've achieved them themselves, it's actually quite challenging to do because our natural ego will want to say, well, what about me? And that's completely natural and normal. But if we can just step back from that momentarily and to see that others have achieved this and together that we've achieved this, that's an extraordinary KPI as a leader.
0: Absolutely. It reminds me of good design. You don't notice good design. It just, <laughs> it, the building just works. And when, I know when that happens for me, I go, wow, someone really thought yes. about this and there's so yes. much that's gone into it. And I think good ship is the same. It's almost, you don't notice it and things work. And that's when you really now as a leader, that it's almost, you just not even mentioned, which I mean, feel, you know, the ego does want to embrace the leadership yes. and, and Absolutely. go it. Thank you so much, Gavin. There's so much more I want to ask you. I do think we're going to have to ask you back for a part two because you have so many incredible words of wisdom. We so appreciate you joining us today. I've learned so much. I'm going to go do a little meditation, I think, after this. I've been (laughs) inspired to take a pause moment and go look out over the horizon. So I hope our listeners have also been inspired and we're so grateful. Thank you so much, Gavin.
1: My pleasure, Felicity. You're an inspiration and I think it's wonderful that you're doing this to be able to help inspire others through your podcast. So been a big pleasure.
0: Thank you.